Awesome. We definitely want to acknowledge that we are gathered, uh, figuratively speaking, I think, um, or digitally anyways, uh, on the lands of the Coast Salish, Stolo and Kwantlen peoples. Do take a look at nativeland.ca and I would challenge you, maybe remove the colors because it's a bit confusing, but scope in without adding the streets view and see if you can find where you live. It's a very interesting um, little idea of uh, having a closer look and um, seeing what this was all like before we arrived. I, in particular, am, and probably most of us in Abbotsford are on the lands of the Nooksack, Kwantlen, Simiamu, and Stolo. Um, but uh, yeah, love to make that acknowledgement. Next, uh, we are um, on the theme, Blessed Are the Peacemakers. And we just want to welcome everybody. Um, I, I, how do you make everybody feel welcome? What gives a sense of belonging? Let me read this. It's a feeling of security and support when there is a sense of acceptance, inclusion, and identity for a member of a certain group. Wow, how do you have a group without some sort of exclusion? And how do you make everybody feel welcome? Well, I did some other reading and it's making people feel welcome more about how we behave than even how we feel, but how you feel welcome is a sense of belonging. So. I hope we're getting good at that. I want you to feel welcome wherever you are and whatever your background is. I'm going to uh, hand off to Sarah. I think you're going to be doing an interesting interview this morning. Go ahead, Sarah. I am. I am going to introduce uh, you to a couple who have been with us for a while now um, online. And I'm just finding them in the thing. Hold on. There they are. Uh, this is Dave and Merrill, and uh, they are part of our church, have been for a while, but let me ask them to introduce themselves to you. So um, I've just said your names, but anything more you want to say about that? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been called lots of things. Um, quite often we're called the crazy Welsh couple. And um... Rude. <laughs> <laughs> as a result, we, we, it's, it's really funny because we've also been sort of adopted as Welsh parents to a lot of kids across the world. During our travels, we've met so many people and uh, we're in contact regularly with yeah. all kinds of countries. Yeah, it's, it's really lovely, really. Yeah. yeah. We're also being told in the last week that we're elderly. Our grandchildren have been told by their teacher in school that anybody that doesn't go out to work is elderly. Again, so you can imagine we're well impressed with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have a chat with the teacher when we go to the uh, Christmas, Christmas carol service, where our I granddaughter's Angel Gabriel. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so how long have you been connected to the bridge here? Well, actually, I had a little look, and it's almost two years since I sent you a message asking for the first um, uh, code uh, to connect when Brad was speaking. Okay. And, um, yeah, that's... It's two years in December, mm. so that time has gone really, really quickly, really quickly. It's cool. Um, I, lo I love now that you've stopped saying your church and now say our church, and I kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how far away you are. Um, oh. Uh, oh, look, you're being greeted in, in Welsh in the chat. Oh, oh I am. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Nice. Um, okay, so the question I have for you this morning is, how do you spend yourself on behalf of others that brings you joy? Well, that's been an interesting one, because we've done lots of different things over, over the oh, years. Yeah. That's brought us joy and stress. Yeah. Um, we've been very much involved with children and youth work, haven't yeah. we? Um, I mean, that's been a lot of fun. And we're people, people. So mm. our house is always, it's, it feels a little bit, it's been like low and you know, we've always had kids in the house, always full of hot dogs and pizza. Yeah, and... Sunday nights, crazy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely <laughs> crazy. But good fun, good yeah. fun. Yeah. And, you know, we've had our lives by, t- touched by a lot of people, and I think we touched a lot of lives as well in the process. You yeah, it's, it's been fun. Yeah, we, we, we stumbled into church leadership, fellowship leadership for a while. That was stress. Yeah, I think that was more joy than stress. More, joy, stress, more stress than joy. Yeah, you got that wrong. Yeah, got that wrong, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was good fun. And it was really... There were some, some precious times, wasn't there? there absolutely precious things. times, yeah. you know, with kids, particularly with things like kids' camps, like kind of stuff that you're doing, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Amazing, really. And uh, it, it's just that... We've always been people-related, haven't we? Because yeah. our, um, we've always been involved with people uh, with mental health issues. Dave's worked 20-odd years in mental health. We're both oh. counsellors. Yeah. So we've, we've always had that link um with people yeah and hospitality has been a big thing over the years um now at the moment it's a bit quieter. life has changed a little yeah. bit i COVID. think since covid yeah um, and, and also because you're elderly now of course we have to take that into account <laughs> it's, it's funny that we had two new grandchildren didn't we in, in, lockdown. in lockdown wow and I know. So we've got four local granddaughters and so, then we've got four in North yeah. Wales. So we, we've invested more in the family more recently. And they, the kids bring us loads of joy, you know. But yeah. I'm just thinking about the past, we talked about kids' work, but we also got involved in, in uh, visiting people in care homes, mm. you know. And that was really yeah. fantastic, wasn't it? Because a lot of people didn't have visitors at all. They had families, but no visitors. And There's a lot of loneliness and isolation, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. 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 This, this, the system doesn't work really it's just mm, it's sad yeah mm. awesome well it is so fantastic to have you with us thank you for the reminder about interviews um it's been a while since we've done any and what we're going to do over the next little while is roll through as many people as we can on the online weeks so that we can um we're we looking forward we're looking forward to different people. we're looking forward to that because it'd be so nice to uh, because we're so far away yeah it'd be just so nice to get to know you know more about people really yeah yeah We've all got a story to tell, haven't we? Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for sharing yours this morning. And uh, we will, we will, I'm going to add Kathy to this party um, because she's going to do the next little bit for us. So thanks, Dave and Merrill. Thank you. Thank you. Kathy. Speaking of new things, um, Kathy is going to, she's muted right now, but she is going to unmute and then she's going to share with us a little bit about her painting. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at it in a more of a focused manner. Okay, so Kathy, tell us about your picture. So I was invited to do a piece on uh, uh, peacemaking, being a peacemaker, and uh, started with a sketchbook and some words came to me pretty much right away. Uh, what does it take? See, uh, uh, listen, learn, listen, coffee cups, <laughs> and um, pray, love. And then after those words came um, sketching, 
and images. And then came music in my mind and then <clears throat> memories. And I, it's actually, it took me back to high school when I, when I thought we were addressing, we were addressing pollution. <clears throat> we were addressing racism and we were addressing war. And I was very optimistic. I'm going, this is important. We're addressing these things now. And I hope that more would have happened by now. Hmm. So um, anyway, if you get a chance to zoom in on the words sometime, or we could post the song. This, this is a current song that we sang with our family on a trip recently called Poetry by Taylor Lionheart. And this is a, a, apparently a popular camp song that my grandkids requested called Lighthouse and about uh, light, Jesus being there in the storms of our life. And then there's some songs referenced from the, from the 60s. It's a multi, no, it's mixed medium piece. So there's acrylic paint and some collage, which I did not use Mod Podge. I used matte medium. So if you like to keep a, a paper journal, but you want to add something in there, matte medium. It'll blow the Mod Podge out of the park. Top 10. <laughs> so yeah, join in in the comments and say what you see, what you think, what, um, yeah. Oh, one more thing, memory-wise. This reference to George Floyd. That's my city I grew up in, Minneapolis. And that little image there uh, on Chicago in Minneapolis. It was very close to my high school. Wow. And then that hideous thing happened right there. I, I don't know, I think it hits you harder when you got it. You got a connection, you know. Anyways, thank you. Cool. Thanks, Kathy. And uh, okay, and um, we're going to move on to Stephen Karen, who's going to lead us in communion. Sorry, rookie mistake. There should know how to use the unmute button by now after three years of using Zoom. <laughs> um. We're going to come together now and um, and take uh, communion together. And um, we found a, a liturgy from um, a Mennonite pastor called Carol Penner, who unashamedly says she put together uh, aspects of different uh, communion liturgies um, to form this one brief one. Um, I must admit that um, the more I think about communion over recent months and years, the more incredible and mysterious it becomes uh, on one hand um, it's an act of remembrance but I think Casey um, mentioned this a couple of weeks ago it's my sense is it's 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 way more than that um, it's a it's a thanksgiving um, and it's it's been known as a sacrament of the church historically which simply means something concrete uh, that we can do together which is a channel for the supernatural grace and blessing of God. Um, even saying that, it's um, it's it's incredible, mysterious. But anyway, it is something simple, that concrete that we can do together uh, to to give thanks to Jesus for His gift of of life. Um, so we will begin. Come to the table of Jesus, our Redeemer. 
Jesus invites you here as part of the people of God. Come to the table humbly, not because you have earned a place here, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love God and want to love God more. Come because Jesus first loved us and gave his life for us. Come because you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come because you want to experience the mystery of God's grace. On the night he was handed over, Jesus had a meal with his friends. He took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup of wine and after giving thanks, gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, remember me. Let us pray. God, our creator. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, whose love pursues us our whole life long. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life to us in word and deed, even unto death, even death on a cross. Come, Holy Spirit, feed us with your love that we may be filled with power to love God with all our hearts and souls and mind. Amen. Amen. So go ahead and take the um, the bread and the wine or the juice and the cracker um, and let us eat together. We have come to the Lord's table. We have eaten the bread of heaven. God is the one who will transform us so that we can see with Jesus' eyes, hear with Jesus' ears, and speak with Jesus' mouth, so that we can be the body of Christ in the world, proclaiming the good news of God's love. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, welcome, Eden. Thank you. So lovely to see your smiling face today. And um, we've got half an hour to pray for you. Is that right? Is that what we agreed? <laughs> Take as long as you need. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for Eden and um, for the, the gift that she is um, to each of us in this community. And I pray, Father, that you would um, just breathe your life into all of the beautiful things that I know she has prepared for us to hear from um, you this morning and um, I pray God that for each of our hearts you will underline what it is that you want us to hear from you directly and thank you that you're using Eden's voice this morning 
bless her. Bless her as she gives to us. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Um, in preparation for this morning and for preaching, I've just really enjoyed diving into the passages for this week. Uh, but I do have a caveat because I feel like I'm serving you a plate with just meat on it because I'm going to use all four passages from the lectionary. So if you haven't just exited and you still remain with us because I said four passages, I wanna assure you that the meat has been marinated and I don't think you're going to have to chew too much. So here's hoping. Um, the first passage is in First Kings 5. And I'm, for the most part, I'm just going to summarize because the passages are a bit long and um, I want to put my own emphasis on things. So King David has died and uh, King Solomon has ascended the throne of Israel. Uh, Solomon recognizes that David never got to build the temple because he was too busy fighting with all his neighbors. But if Solomon sees that, um, but Solomon starts to see that, you know, things are in a, in a peaceful place in the kingdom. And so he decides to reach out to his neighbor, the king of Tyre, to run an idea by him. And Solomon's like, I, I'm thinking it's a good time to build the temple my dad never got around to. And so I want to propose an idea. I want to use your cedar trees for the temple, but really, you know, no one can cut trees down like your slaves. So let's make a deal. I'll pay for your slaves to do the work of cutting down the trees and I'll conscript 30,000 men of mine to come be your slaves while your slaves are working for me. I got a lot to say about that, but we're just going to leave that because we're going to look at all the passages right off. The next passage is Isaiah 66. And there uh, we have God speaking through Isaiah. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What temple can you build for me as good as that? My hand made both earth and skies and they are all mine. Then we move on to John 2. And in this passage from John, we find Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem. And as Jesus enters it and sees what's going on, he gets riled up. But what do you see about what he sees going on within the temple? And it's become a market where people are profiting off of those who are there to make their offerings. And as Jesus is clearing the profiteers and all the animals out of the temple, some of those watching, likely religious leaders, ask him, what sign can you show us for doing this, like making this mess? And Jesus responds, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. For those listening, uh, they pushed back at that point and said, the, this building project has been going on for 46 years. How do you think you can raise a temple in three days? 
they did not comprehend what Jesus was actually saying at that point. Then our final um, passage is in Ephesians 2, and I'm going to read it um, from Dr. Gaffney's paraphrased version, which is in our lectionary. For Christ is our peace. In his flesh, he has made all into one and has broken down the dividing walls. That is the, host, uh, the hostility between us. Jesus has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself a single new humanity in place of Gentile and Jewish believers, thus making peace and that he might reconcile all to God in one body through the cross, putting to death hostility through it, or it can also be translated through him. So Jesus came and proclaimed peace to you all who are far off and peace to those who are near. For though Jesus, for through Jesus, all of us have access to one spirit and to the creator of all. So then, you are all no longer strangers and aliens, but you are all citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the women and men who were apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In Christ, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Messiah, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Uh, some of us have learned to read scripture linearly, as if all, all of it carries equal weight and needs to be shoehorned into the same literal understanding. But it's, it's not really like that. That's like looking down at the earth when you're flying. And if you look straight down, it's really hard to see the elevation. Everything looks relatively flat. So we need to be looking at scripture from different angles so we can see truth and insight that's elevated. Much of scripture is written with a trajectory towards something more, uh, something greater, something truer and fuller. And in this case, something that lines up more with the Garden of Eden and all it held in its early creation. The garden was the original temple of God because it was where God resided with all of creation. So if we explore the storyline within scripture that follows the desire for a temple, as our passages from the lectionary do this morning, we find out some really fascinating things. And we see how scripture is elevating and redefining what the temple is. If we follow the trajectory in these passages through to Jesus and then into the early church in Ephesians, we get a pretty good idea of what the temple was meant to be, but also how it was meant to be. What I'm noticing about this theme in scripture is that the Israelites' desire for a temple is likely rooted in humanity's desire to find their way back to the Garden of Eden. 
And I don't mean that they were literally trying to get back to the location of creation, though they did understand that the promised land was likely physically in the area of Israel, but that there was a deep longing within them that desired for that intimate relationship with their creator God that they had lost along the way of their history. So as they're fleeing their slavery in Egypt, they find themselves on hold in the desert for 40 years. Early on, they want to have a place to meet with God that they can move when they move. So they create the tent of meeting. It's entirely portable. And it's where Moses goes to listen to God and probably just to get away from people. The Israelites can go to the tent to seek out wisdom and inquire of the Lord. So that scratches the itch of connection with God with the plans for the tabernacle, a more permanent structure are created and then built. So there's always, they're always looking to the next thing. Eventually, the Israelites do build the, timber, the tabernacle in the desert. It's still movable, but it's also larger and more structured than the tent of meeting. The tabernacle is a place of worship for the Israelites, but the Hebrew word actually means dwelling. This for them is about where God is going to be. They do eventually get out of the desert and settle in the promised land. There is immediately a desire for a temple, but that's put on hold because God forbids King David from building the temple because he was, he had like way too much blood on his hands fighting with his neighbors. So Solomon becomes king and he decides that he's going to go ahead and build the long desired temple. But in his zeal to fulfill the dream of Israel, he makes a deal with his neighbor, the king of Tyre. And Solomon enslaves his own men in trade for the use of the king of Tyre's slaves to cut down the cedars of Lebanon. So here's just a sidebar. The irony and hypocrisy of Solomon's enslaving his own men for the sake of building the equivalent of a pyramid should not go unnoticed. Certainly, it did not go unnoticed by some of the prophets in the Old Testament. So the Bible's built on the backs, or the temple is built on the backs of slaves. But it's everything that Israel has pined for, except that it has now become a symbol of wealth and power and status. It's a measure of their God being greater than the gods of the nations around them. And not everyone can come into the presence of God, like certainly not slaves or women, or children, or sit people, or foreigners, or the unclean, just to start. Priests are established as a mediator between God and his children, and so while the temple has been built to contain the presence of God, that presence is not accessible to most. Let's 
fast forward to Isaiah now, because here we have a shift in our understanding of what the temple really is. And spoiler alert, if we could see the elevation of scripture at this point, we would see a dramatic increase in elevation, meaning importance. This is God talking to us in Isaiah 55. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. This is like a fantastic picture. It's meant to help us understand just how vast our God is. And it's also meant to be a course correction for those who are still attached to the temple being the dwelling place of God. The passage in Isaiah goes on to say, where is the house you will build for me? There's a deep irony in this verse because God is just given context to how vast their presence is and is now asking a question that puts into context the futility of trying to build a structure that would contain that vast presence. But we're still in the foothills of the elevation of this temple theme in scripture. Our next stop is in the Gospels in John 2, where Jesus is in the temple. I've already read that. But it's kind of funny, right? Like, if you think about it, Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, the enfleshment of Jehovah, is in the temple, the man-made enclosure for the presence of God. and. Jesus walks in and he sees what's going on and it's, he's not happy. Who knows what his expectations were that day? It wasn't his first visit, but it seems evident that he wasn't pleased by what he was witnessing. It was anything but the house, a house for God. It became a market where people had, were taking advantage of people that were trying to give their offerings. And he started to clear off tables and turn them over and drive out profiteers and animals alike. As he does this, someone, likely a religious leader, asks him, what sign can you prove to show you, to show us that you have authority to do this? Jesus, who's just fresh off of performing his very first miracle, gives those who are listening a really thinly veiled look at where he really, who he really is and what is to come. Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. But the questioner says, oh, well, that's impossible. We're 46 years into this building project. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? And this is one of the few places we get the advantage of having the author of this gospel tell us what Jesus really meant by way of the hindsight of the disciples. The temple Jesus is referring to here isn't the building they're standing in, but of course it's his body. So the trajectory of scripture starts at a high point. We're in a garden and it's created, and humans co-mingle with God, and all of creation is a temple of God's presence. And then mankind begins to desire a structure to place God's presence in so that 
they'll always know where to go find that presence. And the structures get more permanent, less portable, and more and more exclusive. We'll call that the lowlands, even though at the time folks likely saw that as great progress. Then in Isaiah, we get to read about God who sees all of creation as a sanctuary, and he's putting it into, into question the ability of a structure to contain divine presence. And we find ourselves rising up from those lowlands to a broad and spacious place where God's presence isn't limited to a location, but it's wide and expansive. And then Jesus turns up. He begins to whittle away at the beliefs of those who hold tightly to their understanding that God can be contained in a structure. He quietly reveals that his human body is the temple of God and that while it will be destroyed, it will also be raised up again. We learn that God resides in mankind and that the temple is again portable. We have one more passage to touch on in this trajectory of the temple, and it lands us with an amazing view and understanding of how God has designed the temple that they dwell in. So in Ephesians 2, Paul's revealing to us that not only is Jesus the temple of God's presence, but the cornerstone of that temple. And we are all members of the household of God. We understand that Jesus came to create a spirit of humanity without us and them, where peace is made and reconciliation with God is achieved through Jesus, his body and his death on the cross. Hostility is put to death through Jesus, and he proclaims peace, both to those who have positioned themselves close at hand and to those who have wandered off. Your proximity does not dictate whether or not God's presence is with you. It may reflect in how, you, how close you feel to God, but not God's nearness to you. Jesus has provided us with an all-access pass to the spirit and creator of all. We have longed for the Garden of Eden since we left it. Not so much a location, but rather God's presence in our lives, the close connection and daily walks with God in creation that were meant for us to enjoy. An entire creation, plants, animals, and humankind, all in harmony together with God. So let me sum up. I'm going to summarize this by putting us right in the middle of this story and trajectory because we are connected with humanity's history. We start in the garden at peace with God and all of creation enjoying a close and personal communion with God. But things go south and we choose to know things instead of living the life God had in store for us. There's a lot that goes on during the next stretch of history, floods and close calls and slavery, and then finally an exodus. And as soon as we humans are free of our oppressors, we remember somehow about the garden and what it was like to be connected with God. So we start 
to make things that we hope reflect the garden and will draw God to us. We start with a tent, but too few people can get in. So we make something bigger and we call it a tabernacle. That still isn't really enough. So when we finally get to the promised land, we start drawing up plans for a temple. We get distracted with wars and meaningless fights with our neighbors. And then finally we come to a patch of peace. Part of our plans are to enslave our own people in order to get someone else's slaves to do some really skilled work for our profit. And somehow, somehow that works. And we build this big temple as a place for God's presence to reside. But unlike the Garden of Eden, there isn't peace among men and animals and creation. There's an exclusive list of who's in and a longer one for who's out. It actually doesn't reflect the spirit of the garden at all. Isaiah comes along, someone who's managed to tune into God's frequency without the need of a temple. And he hears God saying, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And now I'll ad lib. So if that's true, that all of creation is my sanctuary, then tell me, people, exactly what are you going to build for me? And then Jesus. Here comes a man that can somehow contain God and, and joins us here on earth and walks with us and talks with us. And we recognize some of the elements of the garden. Jesus shows us how to make peace with our enemies by blessing them and loving them. He shows us how to make peace with the animals by becoming the sacrifice that ends the need for us to sacrificially kill them. He restores broken bodies. He raises people from the dead. And he calls those on the margins to come to the table. And when he dies, the curtain is torn in the temple that symbolizes the separation of man and God. And if we have eyes to see, we can see the garden again. But there's still more because we're on a trajectory. And I imagine it doesn't end with this sermon. Paul pulls the curtain back even further when he explains that all are welcome. Like in the garden, we all belong. We all count. There's no numbers. There are no strangers or aliens. Just the cornerstone of this temple. And we are joined together to create a dwelling place for God. We are the temple built on Jesus. He dwells in us. Our need for structures, both in the form of buildings and hierarchy, has always gotten in the way of our peace, connection, and inclusion. Those forms of the temple will never reflect the Garden of Eden we long for. They are far lesser than what we see God has established in each of us. We, each of us, all of us, 
are the temple of God, and he lives and loves within us. Let's pray. Come and fill us, Jesus. We have made space for you in each of our hearts and in our joining together as a community. Dwell here, Jesus. You are welcome in our midst. Amen. May I just um, close in a blessing. Um, may we feel connected to God. May we be the dwelling place of God. May we be an expression of God's presence, peace, connection, and love to all those around us. And may we see God's presence in all those around us and all creation around us. Amen.